Hello friends, and welcome to another episode of Bat Flips and Maple Dips. My name is Clayton Croker, to my left is Justin Anderson, and of course the uh, Maritime Mistress Maker, the Alan Doyle Fan Club Founder, Vice President, Treasurer, and... Well, that's about it, actually. It's uh, Patrick Marsh joining us via Skype. It's uh, a beautiful day in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where we are. Nope, it's gross. We're getting like 20 centimeters of snow. It's like minus 25. Thank goodness we're inside doing a podcast about the Jays. Uh, we're going to cover some uh, some news, as we always do. Uh, the Freddie Galvis situation, our shortstop situation right now. Mm-hmm. Danny Barnes, he gone. He gone. And uh, we got some questions from uh, some of you guys. And we also will be giving a shout-out to Jackie Robinson. Uh, the rant is coming back today, which is always a fun time. And we're going to... Uh, finally dig into our uh, prospect watch here we got 30 mm-hmm. prospects uh the top ones in the j system we're going to be uh, talking about those guys uh before we do that though just a heads up um follow us on all the social medias twitter instagram facebook we're all over it i'm not going to bring it up justin you're not i'm not going to bring I'm it up no nope. out of sight out of mind the old <laughs> other one that starts with n uh soundcloud <laughs> itunes spotify google play music youtube tune in stitcher um, you can listen to them on all those things. If you're listening to them, this episode on one of those things, thanks a bunch. We appreciate you listening. And uh, yeah, Wyoming, we haven't forgot about you. I know everyone in Wyoming was like, hey, where's our shout out? Don't worry. It took a minute and a half. We got to get through the housekeeping stuff before we give a shout out to Wyoming. So we love you, Wyoming. Go Cowboys. Um, let's dig into the news, though, shall we? Because the Jays signed a- another shortstop. Freddie Galvis, um, $5 million guaranteed. He gets a $1 million buyout on a 2020 option, uh, $4 million salary. Uh, because of this, Danny Barnes is gone. Uh, Patrick, are you sad that Danny Barnes is gone because of this move? First of all, hi, guys. Hey, everyone. <laughs> um, we'll get to Danny Barnes, but let's talk about the signing first and what it means for the team. Um I'm going to be negative Nancy today and say I don't get the point of this move because we already have a logjam at shortstop, and Gurriel needs to max out his playing time in order to get better. If they're not sure about Gurriel's glove uh, in relation to the fact that we have a lot of high ground ball percentage pitchers, maybe we should just coach him to get better instead of just like finding someone to take playing time away from him. I like the move. Yeah, I think the more the more depth in the infield, the better. Um, I know that we're kind of looking for some outfield help right now, but I like this Freddie Galvis move. He seems to be pretty solid defensively. Um, his bat isn't going to, like, wow you or anything, but he did hit 13 home runs last year, so he does have a little bit of pop in his bats. Um, again, to quote Moneyball, looks like a ball player. Got that <laughs> ball player kind of name, you know, Freddie Galvis. I always picture whenever the Jays sign someone, like, now batting. Number whatever, Freddie Galvis. And he passes that test. It sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty cool. So he passes that one at least. But uh, again, this doesn't really mean good news for the guys we already have in the system. Like if you're a young Blue Jay shortstop right now in the system, maybe looking to crack the lineup or something like a Gurriel, you're like, oh man, why are they they bringing this guy in? Well, the good news is that for those young guys is that Freddie Galvis isn't going to be here forever. Like Patrick said, he's got this year and then he's got a a, a buyout on on an option for 2020. This is just... It's the same thing they're doing with the rotation. Like if you look at the Blue Jays' depth chart right now, the rotation has eight guys listed in order from Stroman, Sanchez, Brecky, Shoemaker, Richard, Reed, Foley, Thornton, and Gaviglio. So you look at that and it tells you like they're not going to have an eight-man rotation. So 
this is this is what teams do leading up to spring training, which, by the way, pitchers and catchers report in 12 days on Valentine's Day. Yeah. That's the only Valentine's Day gift I need. Thank God for baseball coming back. Um, and the first spring training game three weeks from today. So uh, right now, if you look at our shortstop situation, they still MLB.com still has Lourdes Gurriel as the starting shortstop with Galvis at the backup. Galvis is brought in as some, a bit of insurance. You look who else we have in our middle infield right now. Devin Travis, history of injuries, didn't play well last year. Brandon Drury barely played at all with us last year and dealt with some injuries as well. Drury's listed as the starting third baseman, but we know who's going to be there halfway through the first month of the season. It's going to yeah. be some thick boy named Vladdy. Can't wait for that. Um, so Drury and Travis are going to probably split time at second base, assuming that they stay healthy and have solid springs. Galvis is a depth signing. He's he's almost he's a replacement for he's a better Richard Urania in in a sense where he actually okay. has a has some big league experience and is a proven major league player. Um, you guys know my thoughts on Urania. I don't think he's ever going to do anything for the Blue Jays um, in terms of value, but he's listed as a third shortstop. So there, there's going to be some internal competition in spring, which is great. I mean, it's not like we have world beaters competing at those positions, but they're all guys who the organization feels have potential. Like, I mean, Lourdes Gurriel, we all like him. Yeah. All of us like him. We hope that he wins the job. But in my opinion, Lourdes Gurriel is our second baseman once guys like Bo Bichette and Vladdy get to the big leagues because he's going to – Bo Bichette's not going to switch positions for Lourdes, for Lourdes Gurriel to stay at shortstop. Mm-hmm. Lourdes is going to have to move. <laughs> no. And there's been some talk about Lourdes even exp- experimenting with him in the outfield. He said he used to play outfield when he was back back home. Um and he's open to playing a corner outfield position. I think he profiles pretty well for like a left fielder role, um, which is another spot in our team where we have a decent amount of, of depth right now. The Blue Jays might not have all-star players every position, but they have serviceable big league players who are going to be auditioning for starting positions in spring training. Like we, All we really know is that Kevin Pillar and Randall Gritchick are probably starting in center and right, and the left field could be any of McKinney, Hernandez, or Dwight Smith Jr. You even throw guys like Anthony Alford. Dalton Pompey has no options left. Yeah. So if he doesn't make the roster, he's going to be DFA'd and someone else will probably take him. Yeah. So there's there's like five or six guys, Jonathan Davis in that category too, who are going to compete for backup outfielder spots. And that's not a bad thing. I feel like Aledmus hmm. Diaz is a little bit better than Galvis though. It seems that's the only kind of head scratcher with this move was like we already had Aledmus Diaz Diaz probably would have cost less. Yeah. And it seems like they're not the exact same ball player, mm-hmm. but I kind of thought that Diaz proved himself this year to get another shot with the Jays. Yeah. And I just kind of don't get why we let him go and then bring in a guy like Galvis. When we let go of Diaz, I was like, okay, we're going to let some of our young guns kind of come up and take the mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. And then we bring in Galvis, who's like another Diaz, you know? Well, you know, so, the thing about Galvis is that he's underrated is that the last two seasons he's played in every single game, 162 games. 2016, he played in 158. 2015, 151. Okay. The guy doesn't miss time. Yeah. You look at guys that we have on our roster, and as I mentioned before, Travis has missed time. He only he only did play in 100 games last year because of the send down to AAA in April. Um, Drury obviously played barely with us. Even Diaz missed some time. Guriel missed some time. So everyone we have in our middle infield right now has missed time in the past season, really. Patrick, so what did you, you think about the whole Galvis over Diaz kind of thing? Uh, at first, I was kind of like, why would we bother? But after uh, Justin and I were talking about it before mm-hmm. we actually started recording the show, 
Uh, we checked out the defensive stats, and Galvis is actually the better defender. Diaz is the better bat. Uh, but keep in mind that when we traded Diaz, uh, we got our 22-ranked uh, prospect, who we'll talk about later in the episode, Trent Thornton. So that is worth saying when it comes to why would we deal Diaz. We actually got value for Diaz, and we signed Freddie Galvis for nothing. True. So there was there was benefit to dealing Diaz, uh, even though, uh, like Clayton, like you said, he had kind of shown that he was worthy of of the role. The other thing to keep in mind is I really like this idea of Gurriel competing for the starting second baseman role right now because of the fact that we have that log jam at short. If Galvis can start at short, then we have our best possible defensive shortstop uh, in that position. Gurriel doesn't play as well uh, at second base, but Gurriel also proved last season that he has tremendous upside at the plate and he can be serviceable enough that eventually, you know, when he's challenged by Kavan Biggio for the second base role in two to three years, it might kind of push both of them to be better. But I think no matter what, Guriel's going to end up being a super utility player in the future and he'll, he'll get the games. I guess the thing that bothers me a bit is that we were all kind of under the impression that Guriel was going to start it short and now that's obviously not going to be the case, unless he wins it outright mm-hmm. in, uh, in spring training, like you said. We'll know in a couple of weeks uh, what the score is, really. So because of this move, and we touched on it earlier, Danny Barnes, he gone. Um, I don't think anyone is sad about that. I think I can <laughs> no. just assume that we all are we, like, thank goodness Danny Barnes is gone. We've talked about Danny Barnes enough. We don't, he doesn't, we don't owe him any more airtime. Captain Generic <laughs> is gone. Uh, now we just got to get rid of Mark Leiter and Joe Biagini. Uh, they represent the two unholy pitchers we have. <laughs> Who do you think goes first, Biagini or Leiter? Lighter. Lighter. You think so? 100%. For some reason, the Lighter, days... Lighter will make it out at spring training. Mark Lighter will get to spring training. He'll get to say hello to everybody, and then within <laughs> two to three days, he'll get designated for assignment, and he'll be back to the acid mines where he belongs. Acid, not even coal mines, eh? Acid mines. I think he could straight, at least he could at least cut mines. it in the coal in the in the coal mines. But come on, guys, acid mines. Maybe even the salt mines. Come on, guys. You know there's enough salt surrounding Mark. Lutter it just Jr. seems like the Jays' management has a love affair with Joe Biagini. I don't get it. They just love how happy he is. Yeah, they like his. True. They like his jokes. He, he, probably, does, he probably does. I, stand I still up don't in the think they room. fully understand how the Rule Five thing works. I think yeah. they think he's a Jade for life. Do they think that it's Rule Five years or yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. did get another uh, minor league pitcher, though, or relief pitcher, I should say. We yeah. just signed him to a minor league deal. Um, Patrick, tell us more about this guy. Uh, well, Javi Guerra played for the Marlins last year. He was not particularly good. <laughs> Uh, he also had to deal with a 50-game suspension uh, for drug abuse in the past. Um, but again, you know, everybody deserves a second chance uh, in life. Uh, in Major League Baseball, I don't know if uh, Guerra will will see time with the Jays. Maybe they will because they're they're primed to lose 100 games this year, and they're probably going to need someone to pitch. But I don't know. Like, it, it's so frustrating to talk wow. about. Danny Barnes and Mark Leiter and Joe Biagini and then this Javi Guerra guy when like does this mean Thomas Pannone is probably going to be in AAA yes like why not why not have Thomas Pannone you know pitch some relief innings 
at least we know enough. he's better than these guys. Why are we wasting our time with Joe motherfucking be a genie again? <laughs> well, fuck. You know, we've we've talked about this before a lot with with our young starting pitchers moving into bullpen roles. We saw it work for Aaron Sanchez before obviously the finger injuries happened. He had a great year after his relief. But we we do want our young starting pitchers to start. And if they can't start in the big leagues, AAA is the next best thing. They're still going to face prospects who are respectable hitters in, in AAA. Um, it's the cream of the crop of the minor league system. And, I mean, it's it's better for them to pitch 150 innings in AAA starts than it is for them to pitch 40 innings in big league relief, in my opinion. I just think yeah. that this... I'm, guy, I'm with you on that. It, this Javi Guerra guy, I bet you we don't hear too much about I, him. I, I'd be surprised, honestly. I think he's he's another one of these guys who you bring in before spring training hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't perform well, see ya. Yeah, whatever. It's a minor league deal. That's yeah. the one thing I love about baseball. You can just take... Anybody. Flyers on guys, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, just yeah. whatever. This might work out. Who knows? Yeah. Like, uh, who was the guy? Latos that we had last year. Matt Latos. Like, he was pretty good for Miami for a few years Even Cincinnati and too. lost it yeah. and it's like you know what if he can get back yeah. to his normal form let's bring him in and the Jays love doing that I mean yeah. case in point Frank Thomas when we brought in oh yeah every Frank team Tank does it yeah hurt and it was like oh let's just bring him in see what happens <laughs> you know you can't really do that in a lot of other sports like football and hockey it kind of exists like ah, we'll bring him in see what happens but those usually kind of lead to ah he's not making it in baseball, it more often than not, it does lead to them not making it. But more than in hockey and football, those guys end up making the team and making an impact <laughs> in some way or another. Uh, we got a question uh, from one of you guys. Um, when Atkins suggested that the Jays are mostly done with their offseason moves, how do you feel about the moves that they made? Will the Jays be competitive, and where is your confidence heading into this season? Shout out to the mystery person who sent us that question. Um <laughs> I don't think we really did too many off-season moves, so I don't think that we can really be, like, overly excited, you know? Like, there wasn't one guy that we brought in where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm pumped to see this guy. <laughs> I, is, is there anyone that we brought in the off-season that makes you kind of excited? Or it, No, <laughs> the, the thing for me, our off-season moves cemented the fact that this is going to be a big-time building year. We're going to give our young guys time to play I know Blue Jays fans are impatient and they're waiting for these top prospects to get here, and it's coming. I mean, we're going to see the biggest prospect in baseball in the first month of the season after we play 13 games. He'll be up there. Unless, I mean, unless he hasn't recorded a single hit in AAA, which, based on his past history, I'd be shocked and appalled if that happened. But the thing is, is that we need to have these young guys play if they're going to get better. you, You don't get better facing lesser than the, than the top competition. Like if these guys, these guys can play well in AAA, but if you're not facing Mike Trout, if you're not pitching against Aaron Judge, if you're not pitching, or if you're not hitting off of uh, Chris Sale, you're not going to, you're not going to see what their full potential is. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be a frustrating year at times, but it's also going to be very exciting. We're going to see some games where these young kids are all in the, are all uh, firing on all cylinders and they're going to, they're going to run over some teams because they're fast. They've got power. And they're going to be fun to watch. Patrick, are you excited about anything we did in the offseason? Or are you just kind of meh? Uh, everything that we did was was fully expected. Yeah. Look, we're not going to compete. We are going to lose close to 100 games this season. <laughs> I don't know if we'll be that um, close. 
it, it is like it's like bile coming out of your mouth when you say something like that. And I know that there's going to be fans who expect this team to compete because they're so thirsty to see a Toronto sports team succeed and win it all. And they're going to have to wait a little bit longer because uh, the Raptors aren't going to do it. The Leafs aren't going to do it. And the Jays aren't quite ready. But they'll be the team that gets the closest as far as I'm concerned. And yes, I'm deliberately throwing shade at both the Raptors (laughs) and the Leafs. Uh, But look... It's frustrating, but this is what you do when you rebuild. We have to trust Atkins and Shapiro. I I feel like they've already done more than enough to show that, you know, we should be trusting them. Hell, look at what they did in Cleveland. Like, yeah. why are we still questioning them? Yeah, look Let's just deal now, with right? it. It's going to be a shitty season. I <laughs> Buckle like, up. I like the fact that we did these kind of moves, these minor little moves yeah. to not mess with anything instead of the classic old Jays move to bring in guys like Shea Hillenbrand and Troy Gloss, the mid 2000s Jays moves. Hey, let's you know, trade, where it's let's like, trade Noah Syndergaard for yeah, R.A. Dickey. Exactly. Where it's like, you know what? We can still Ugh. compete right now. Let's bring in some old guys that are on their last legs. You know, <laughs> that was classic Jays back in the day. And it, it was kind of exciting. I mean, when you get a guy like Troy Gloss who mashed dingers early in his career, yeah. it's like, Oh boy. And he was pretty good for the Jays. Yeah, too. He was, he was serviceable. But it's yeah. just like, like we don't need a guy like that. We don't need to waste our money no. on a guy like Troy Gloss or any aging baseball star. So it's kind of good that we were we were a little boring this offseason. Let's put Nothing it that way. That. Yeah, but uh, let's not forget, Dickey won us 49 games and also ate up like well over 1,000 innings. And I don't think Cindergard has pitched that many innings in his career yet. But he looks so, really cool. <laughs> uh, no, I know. Like, look, Cindergard is the better pitcher at least starting in like year like age 37 of R.A. Dickey but like let's uh, let's just (laughs) move on from the cinder guard issue there's two big size um before we get into the hall of fame stuff and the rant happy 100th birthday Jackie Robinson yeah uh he celebrated that I think uh this past week or is it today a couple days ago a couple days ago right January 31st yeah Thursday. Uh, it's super cool having uh, his birthday because February, um, Black History Month here in Canada. Yeah. Um, finally getting more media coverage uh, in the Definitely. country as well. Um, when you think of Jackie Robinson, you think of baseball. I mean, you think yeah. of you think of all the good things that he did for the, the game. Montreal if Royals. If it wasn't for him, I mean, who knows where the game would be here? You know. So Jackie Robinson, uh, you guys want to add anything on the uh, the man, the myth, the legend? Or no, it's it's one of those guys that you wish you would have been able to see play. Yeah. And be there for that first Absolutely. time. It would be. It would have been awesome to see uh, uh, Jackie fight against the hatred of, mm-hmm. of America at the time. And yeah, it would have been awesome to see. But I mean, yeah, shout out to shout out to the Montreal Royals for Jackie's first professional team, uh, farm team of the New York or the Brooklyn Dodgers. Sorry. So and shout out to Branch Rickey for giving him a shot. Yeah, nice little Canadian connection there. Yeah, I love, love it. it. Um, let's get to the Hall of Fame, shall we? Because in my opinion, pretty solid class this year. Um, Mariona Rivera, 100%, first time ever, unanimous decision. We all saw that coming, obviously. Uh, Edgar Martinez, he had 85.4%. Halliday with 85.4%. Yes. And uh, Mike Mussina, he was the one shocker to me a little bit, but he got in with 76.7. Um, we'll talk about Doc in a bit, but who's the most surprising out of those last three? Edgar, Doc, or Mussina that made it? Mussina, but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked to see any of these guys get in. I thought uh, the thing that always surprises me is thanks to uh shout out to Ryan Thibodeau for his Hall of Fame ballot tracker. Um, oh yeah, that's that was that's a huge. It makes it makes the whole Hall of Fame voting season 
a lot more entertaining because he updates it every time somebody releases a public ballot. Um, the thing that always surprises me, though, with this with the public ballot tracker is how favorable um, most of the public ballots are. I mean, there's only like there's probably a handful of shitty ones where like, there was one guy who only voted for Mario Rivera out of, out of on his ballot. It was the only player he picked. But uh, kudos to people for actually revealing their ballots. Um, there are ballots that come out after the fact, but some people hide them. And like you saw guys like Clemens and, and Bonds barely gain any ground after going into the last couple of days with the public ballots being around 70%, and then mm -hmm. they fell into the 50s again. So a lot of the people who don't reveal their ballots uh, don't vote with the, I guess, the public feelings on these players. So it's, it's interesting to see. Uh, I, I like the class. I really do. Mm -hmm. Are you shocked that Mussina got in, Patrick, or no? No, not at all. He deserves to be there. Uh, he was an excellent pitcher, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm glad he's he's in this class in particular just because nobody is going to kick up a fuss and say, like, well, what about Mike Bucina? Or um, Mike Bucina doesn't deserve to get in. Like, now it's just like it's done. He can slide in. The obvious – the the big thing is the unanimous uh, of Mariano Rivera and the fact that Roy Halladay is going to be going in without a logo on his cap yeah. uh, in his first that. year of eligibility. And uh, I, he's one of very few that are posthumous. And I think he would have been first ballot no matter what. I'm most excited for Edgar Martinez because this adds more legitimacy to the fact that the, the – uh, the DH is an important position in American League baseball. And Harold Baines was a DH too, and he got in through the Veterans Committee yeah, this year. So that one was it's iffy. Kinda, it, <laughs> well, what was that? That one was iffy. Harold Baines was an iffy selection, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think the question, because, like when it comes to the Veterans Committee, they're not going to get it right all the time. Like Lee Smith got in this year, yeah. and then he absolutely should be. And... I think we're going to see a lot more guys who are kind of like on the fringe of these discussions get in through the, the Veterans Committee. Uh, it Like, relievers have had such a hard time getting into the hall unless they're like, you know, Dennis Eckersley level of like elite or like uh, Mariano Rivera in, in this case this season. But like Lee Smith was an excellent reliever for a very long time. Yeah. And he's finally getting in. It's like it's they correct some of the mistakes that get made by the dum-dums who are responsible for voting. What are some surprises of guys who didn't get in this year for you guys? We talked about Larry Walker a ton yeah. well, leading up to the Hall of Fame. 54.6% uh, Yeah. That's a big. He's got one more year of eligibility. He needs to gain another 20% to get in. But you look at the guys who are coming onto the ballot, and I think Derek Jeter is the only one who is a, is a sure thing. And he's not going to be unanimous. Like Mariano Rivera was the first ever unanimous selection. Uh, there's going to be somebody who's not going to vote for Jeter because, let's be honest, his defense is among the all-time worst at the shortstop position. And somebody's going to be that guy who, or there's going to be a few of those that guys who just don't vote for him because of that. Um, or some Yankee haters out there. But nobody hated Mariano Rivera, so he no. got the votes. Uh, but I, I think Larry's got... He's got as much of a chance next year to get in as he ever has. And kudos to the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and the Colorado Rockies. Uh, they led some big Twitter uh, campaigns for Larry yeah. this season. And uh, they're trying to, I guess, eliminate the stigma around the Coors effect. 
and they showed a lot of stats about how Larry Walker has better stats on the road in his career than a lot of Hall of Famers yeah. did anywhere. So I I want to say Larry's going to get in next year. We all want him to get in. Good Canadian kid. Uh, if he doesn't get in, he's gonna he's he will be a, he will be in someday through the, the Veterans Committee or today's game, whatever the hell they call it now. Uh, he'll get in in some way or another, but hopefully it's elected publicly next year. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the Hall of Fame, uh, we're going to wrap up our Hall of Fame talk here with uh, the comeback of the rant. Patrick Marsh, take it away whenever you're ready. All right. Well, before we get started, I do want to say it is kind of sad to see the crime dog Fred McGriff leave the ballot with only 39.8% of the vote. He'll probably get in through the Veterans Committee, the same as Larry Walker, if he ends up missing. Uh, so shout out to the crime dog who did win a World Series with Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. He'll he'll get his, his day soon enough. But enough about the positives. I want to talk about the negatives because I'm the negative Nancy this week. <laughs> Listen, guys, come closer. Come closer. Listen, make no mistakes. It is already damn near impossible to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. It takes a career with an enormous amount of success, the luck to play on some championship-winning teams, and even more luck to win individual awards decided by voters. There's a lot of subjectivity, but this is nowhere more apparent than the induction of players uh, into the Baseball Hall of Fame. The problem is that the voting process while slowly becoming more transparent, as Justin alluded to, Mm -hmm. it is still broken. The way that it works seems simple. You pick up to 10 names on the list of eligible players, vote for them, and submit. Sounds easy, right? But it's not, and there are oddities. The most obvious ones are that you don't have to vote for 10. If you're one of those guys, I don't know if it's old school, if there's a particular mentality that's prevalent that's causing this, uh, you often see people vote for less than 10. As a result, there can be bottlenecks where players who should get in are waiting for their turn and sometimes drop off the ballot without getting in, like Fred McGriff or possibly Larry Walker. The other problem is that this rep- uh, that this represents is that there are, are ways to m- manipulate or game the system to prevent players from getting in. Uh, the most famous example uh, right now is Barry Bonds, who cheated at baseball and had a tumultuous relationship with the press. Other players, like Kurt Schilling, are just assholes who can't enter the Hall of Fame because they're assholes. Either way, uh, there's a lot of barriers to get into the Hall of Fame, and it's a very frustrating process, especially if you're a fan that has no say. Personally, nothing pisses me off more than when someone responsible for a ballot just votes for one or two players because they believe in a small hall uh, where it is only the upper, upper echelon of players that get in. This is an incredibly short-sighted mentality Uh, of protecting the sanctity of the Hall of Fame for being flooded with a generation of players from the 90s and the 2000s. Here's the problem for all those stupid old men who do this. Many of the best players in the history of the game played during that time. Whether you like it or not, there are tons of players who didn't use steroids who deserve to get into the Hall of Fame. Just because they don't fit your definition of a classic ball player doesn't mean that they're not legends. Besides that, why bother gatekeeping the Hall of Fame? It's 
only visited by about 300,000 people a year. People don't really give a shit about the Hall of Fame anyway. But you know who does? The players who play the game. There needs to be an overhaul of the election process because, God help me, if Larry Walker doesn't get in next year, I'm going to make it my mission to get every public ballot who didn't vote for him into one long-winded article and blast you all into the sun. Get Larry Walker into the Hall of Fame. Stop being short-sighted. There were good players who played in the 90s and the 2000s who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Get them in. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I agree with Patrick, totally, 100%. What if, though, we just start voting for 10 guys every single time, and what if some guys that don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame get in the Hall of Fame? Because of that, like system. who? Well, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying anyone specifically, but what if there's one guy like where people are just throwing around votes, and because of that, if, if someone's like, ah, you know what, this guy is kind of on the fringe, you know, whatever, let's give him a vote though, because we're mm-hmm. putting all ten in. What if the Baseball Hall of Fame st- starts getting littered with some guys where you're like, hmm, that's a Hall of Famer? Like, yeah, I, I, okay, I see well, what let's, you're saying. Let's but, let's yeah. let's play the experiment then. Okay, Justin, let's say that you're like you're a voter or whatever, mm-hmm. and you voted. To get in, uh, we'll say Fred McGriff or Omar Vizquel. I mean, there are ways to justify certain certain players getting in. Maybe not Omar Vizquel, but certainly like Fred McGriff is someone, a perfect example, should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Right? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I mean, if he, let's say, like hypothetically, he did get voted in. Like, how do you? How do you argue against Fred McGriff getting into the Hall of Fame? Like, what's the opposite side of that? How do you, how do you how do you say like, oh well, that player doesn't deserve to get into the Hall of Fame? Like, how do you? What's the opposite of what what I'm arguing? Well, and if we start doing that, like, oh, why couldn't this guy be a Hall of Famer? We're gonna start doing that for more fringe guys. Like Fred McGriff's kind of a fringe guy right now, and if we start letting those guys get in, like, oh, this kind of fringe guy, he's in. And then the next mm-hmm. round of fringe guys come along who aren't as good, and it's like, you know, you know what? We made an exception for this guy. Let's just let this guy in there too. You know, I think there has to be some kind of exclusivity with the Hall of Fame. I think there needs to be some kind of like, okay, you know what? This guy was a great player. But was he one of the all-time greats, you know? Hall of Fame is for the all-time greats. It's not for the guys who were pretty good or great. It's for the all-time greats. And the guys but, who went in this year, I think, like, again, even Messina is, like, he's all-time great. But it's also, too, like, I was like, well, Mike Messina already? I thought he would have taken a couple more years, you know? But I just kind of, I don't want it to be, like, I don't want the Hall of Fame to kind of get shallowed out with some of the fringe players. It's the Hall of Fame. It's for the best of the best, you know? Not for the fringe players yeah. that are like, you know what? We'll, we'll give them a pass. It's not like science but class me- where you got a 49%, and it's like, you know what? We'll give you a pity pass. Here you go, whatever. Like, But it, it means more to the players than it does to the writers who vote in the players. Like, mm-hmm. there's no reason to protect the Hall of Fame from having more players in it. Well, then everyone should it's- just get into the Hall of Fame then. Well, n- no, that's not what I'm arguing. What I'm saying is that it's the way the vote is designed is to make it so that way more than four or five players get in every year. But we have this stupid bottleneck of players. Like, look, I, I've argued before that players who cheat at baseball shouldn't get into the Hall of Fame until after they've passed away because they don't deserve the right to, to celebrate it because they cheated. 
okay? But at this point, Barry Bonds is going to get in. Roger Clemens is going to get in. Um, Kurt Schilling, I, he didn't cheat at baseball as far as I know, but he's, he's an asshole, should, be, should get into the Hall of Fame, right? But they're, they're getting blocked by voters who want to keep the Hall of Fame super exclusive, but it's only to the benefit of who? It doesn't make any sense. Who benefits from this? Who benefits from keeping the Hall of Fame exclusive? Because it's not the writers, and it's not the players. It's not the fans who pay to go see the players. So who's benefiting Ima- from this? Imagine a guy, though, like an all-time great. Let's picture Vladimir Guerrero. He gets into the Hall of Fame. He busts his butt for all those years. And some guy who does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame goes in there, and technically he's in the same class as Vladimir Guerrero. So is Vladimir Guerrero going to be happy that someone who he is way, way better than, it's like, this guy's getting the same honor as me? Like, I just think that it should be reserved for... I kind of like the fact that they kind of do only four guys at a time. It makes it... you got to have the all-time greats in there. And I just think, like, if you kind of make exceptions for players here and there, I think those all-time great guys like Rivera, like like Vladdy, like all those great guys in the Hall of Fame right now are going to be like, these guys are getting into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, but do the players really care that much? I bet you they do. I think they probably do. Some players out there, like, that's their only goal is to make the Hall of Fame. Win rings, get to the Hall of Fame. And that's fine, but why would they care whether or not somebody else gets into the Hall of Fame unless it was, like, a teammate or a rival that helped make them better? Because it It just doesn't, like... It kind of muddies we, their reputation. We, it kind of muddies their reputation. It's like, oh, I'm a Hall of Famer. Oh, well, this guy is too, and he's not that good, so whatever. Mm. I'm not sure where I stand on this. I have a hard time. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I see both sides of this argument. The thing is with the Hall of Fame is that you could see, depending on how the votes go, you could see one guy get in every year. Yeah. You could see 10 guys on a ballot depending on A, who's on the ballot, and B, how good were the guys that are on the ballot. Are there 10 guys who are worthy of 75% on the ballot right now? I don't think there are. We saw guys voting for Omar Vizquel, who I think he ended up getting more percentage of the votes than Fred McGriff, which is the real crime here. Because Vizquel, outside of being an above-average fielder, was shitty everywhere else. He was never a good baseball, never a good hitter. Yeah, Omar Vizquel, the only reason that Omar Vizquel is even getting consideration for the Hall of Fame is because he was just a good guy. Like you never heard, I never, I've never heard a bad story about Omar Vizquel. Mm -hmm. He was never involved in any controversy. He probably didn't take steroids because it obviously didn't help his performance that much if he did. Um, he was around for a long time, and he just didn't offend anybody. He, and, I mean, you see a guy like Roy Halladay, who's much in the same caliber as Omar Fiskel, who he never offended anybody. He's a great guy. Everybody loves him. Mm-hmm. But he was also a great baseball player. Mm-hmm. And he got into the Hall of Fame on his first try because he was a great baseball player. He put up great numbers. He pitched for two teams. He did pitch in the playoffs. He threw a no-hitter in the playoffs. That's the big thing. Is that not many people have done that? And Omar Vizquel was just around for a long time. That doesn't mean he's a Hall of Fame worthy player. He, yeah, he's a great baseball player. Um, he's definitely, definitely among um, some players that people will remember. But in the end, if Omar Vizquel doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, nobody's going to forget about him. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Fred McGriff, he might be forgotten just because he didn't get the public, I guess, eye that guys like Vizquel did, even though he was a better ball player. And I think that's the real crime is that we 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 see people get frustrated because of guys because of votes like this where a guy like Omar Vizquel can get more votes than a better ball player that, that Fred, like Fred McGriff, 
And it's baffling to me that the voters vote the way they do. Uh, I, it's you can talk about this. It's the same with politics. We we know what happened with, in the United States in the last presidential election. We a guy that nobody thought was going to win won. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if a guy like Viscal got into the Hall of Fame, we'd be like, really, Viscal? Hall of Fame. And imagine being in the Hall of Fame already and being like, really? Omar Vizquel is in here? I played against this guy for 10 years. He's junk. Yeah. I struck this guy out every time I faced him. He's in the Hall of Fame? Come on. Any rebuttal? Patrick Marsh? Uh, Well, I mean, maybe Omar Vizquel was like the the straw man for the the argument. But I mean, like, I can see it like from the perspective of like Fred McGriff was never the best player on his team. And he was never the best individual player at his position at any given time. He played with so many great contemporaries that he never received the proper attention because he was never the best Mm -hmm. at any given time. And I'm not saying that to, like, denounce Fred McGriff. I personally, if I had a ballot, I would have voted for Fred McGriff easily. Me too. I would have voted for 10 players because I think that should be mandatory. I agree the with problem, that. The, the problem that we run into is why Why is it the BWAA, why are they the ones responsible for these votes? I, I get that the MLBPA can't be solely responsible for it, and you certainly can't put it uh, solely into the hands of the fans because mm-hmm. they could vote in anybody just as a joke. John Scott for NHL. We saw that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, Rory Fitzpatrick uh, a yeah. number of years ago. Yeah, is that you run into that problem. What I think would be reasonable would be whether it's the Veterans Committee or the MLBPA or a combination of those plus the BWAA comes up with a pool of players that are pre-selected and then. You can partition a portion of the votes to the fans, a portion to the writers, a portion to the PA, a portion of the Veterans Committee. I just think the way that it's done right now, it's too simple and it's too easy for the writers to create like a voting block just to prevent players from getting in. I know it's weird for me to say that because I'm so against (laughs) cheaters like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens going into the Hall of Fame. At the same time, there's they have to be in there. They have to get in, whether I like it or not. They're going to get in before they die. That's just it's going to happen. So I might as well just accept it. Before we get to the prospects here, I got a good metaphor for this. Um, I'm getting married in September. We are um, we want an intimate supper with our friends and our close family and friends. Mm-hmm. So we were making a guest list for that. And we only wanted like, you know, like 50 or 60 people, you know, our immediate family, our closest cousins, few select friends here and there. As we start making the list, our parents are like, well, we got to invite these two people too. Okay, add them to the list. Okay, well, if those two people come, then these two people have to be invited as well. Okay, well, then we'll invite them. But then these people are going to be mad that they're not invited to the intimate supper. So, you know, we got to invite all these eight people as well. And it turned into this huge spiral effect where the intimate supper we wanted with like 50 people of our closest friends and family, it turned into like a meal of like 140 people because mm-hmm. we kept making exceptions where it's like, okay, well, yeah. if we made an exception for this person, we got to make an exception for this person. And it turned into like a slippery slope where it was like, this is not what we wanted at all we wanted just an exclusive intimate supper and now it's just we're feeding everybody Mm -hmm. and it's like 
And it kind of works the same way. With Where do you all, put your foot you, down? You right? got to draw the line. You yeah. got to put the foot down and be like, "Sorry, man. Like you're a great ball player, but you might not be one of the all-time greats." Now, in this voting system, that's right. But I like Patrick's idea of having all phases, like you know, the writers and the veterans committee and the fans. They all should get a vote. That way. Sure, some more fringe players will get in, but not all the fringe players. You know, I think that's a good system, Patrick. That's that's a good way of putting it. Having ever giving everyone a voice instead of just the riders, it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, to the prospects, I know you guys are really itching to the to prospects. Here. Yeah. Okay. Now, spoiler alert here. This is not my forte. Uh, prospects are not my forte. So I'm going to be the James Duthie of the group here <laughs> and just facilitate it between you two, okay? Because you guys are like prospect central. Like, I've never seen two guys know more about prospects than these two guys you're listening to right now. So Patrick and Justin, this is this is your wheelhouse here. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm typing away. I'm ready to go. That does not seem like you're ready. Born that ready. That's a horrible answer. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm trying to psych myself okay, down. I'm a little confidence. bit too excited like for this. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to go through our uh, top 30 prospects here. Prospect Watch 2019. Yeah. Um, Before we start, yeah. can we... I know Patrick probably has a couple of guys too, but I, I, I want to give a couple of shout-outs to guys who didn't make the top 30, who I thought should have made the top 30. Go on. Uh, number one, uh, Patrick Murphy, pitcher of the year in the Florida State League for Dunedin. Didn't make the top 30. Uh, he was yeah. a guy that we left unprotected in the Real 5 draft, and nobody took him because, again, he only pitched in Dunedin. Uh, the thing with Patrick Murray is he has a little bit of injury history. He's he's very similar to Nate Pearson, who we'll talk about later on, his number three prospect. Uh, he has a big fastball, and he's gone through some injuries. He had Tommy John surgery in high school, and he's had a couple of other just weird injuries, but he's healthy now. He pitched a full season. He's going to have a big year this season. And then my second guy that I want to give a shout to is our outfielder from Lansing, our single A team, Chavez Young. He had a 285 batting average this year, and he stole 44 bases. He's very, very fast. He's a speedy outfielder, and he's got some he's got some great uh, tools at the plate. I think that we'll see those both of those two guys quickly shoot up the MLB pipeline top 30 lists when guys like obviously Jansen and Vlad are going to be off this list pretty quick because they're going to be in the big leagues. Uh, so there's going to be some spots open. We'll see guys like that shoot up the list. That's my two. Patrick, any guys that didn't make the list? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Chan, Chad Spanberger, did he make the list? He did not. He did not. There you go. Chad Spanberger. I don't I, – I think it's just because he is – he, he only has like 180 games of minor league experience, and the highest level was – uh, he played in Dunedin last year, but he has a lot of uh, vision upside. And mm-hmm. I, I he doesn't really have as much power, but he is fast. He's crafty, so I I don't know. I feel like he maybe he doesn't deserve to be on this list right now. But within two weeks of the season starting, when Vladdy is up for good, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he Spanberger might be like number thirty-one. Could be. All right. Now he, we're good. He's, he's definitely close to belonging on this list. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good to go. So those are the snubs, eh? Hey? Those are the snubs for me. All right. Uh, prospect Watch 2019. Um, first up here, we got Ryan Noda, um, first baseman, outfielder. Um, he's only 22. He looks like the ball player, passes the <laughs> money ball test, 6'3, 217. Justin, take it away. He's a big left handed batter, predominantly a first baseman, but they did throw him out in right field a little bit 
in Lansing, uh, once, especially once Spanberger came over because they were teammates for a little bit. I like that they're doing this with some of their younger guys. They're experimenting a little bit with them in, in different positions than they're, than they're native to. By all accounts, Spanberger's a, or sorry, Spanberger, Noda's a pretty good defender at first base. And the big thing about this guy is that he gets on base a crazy amount. His weighted on base average this year it was 414. He walks 20% of his plate appearances, which is crazy for, for a 22-year-old in his second pro season. Uh, he also hit 20 home runs this year. He's even stole 14 bases as a first baseman. You don't see that too much. He's not going to be a big base there by the time he gets to the big leagues because he's going to slow down a little bit. He's already 22, and guys, we know they slow down. Um, MLB Pipeline has his ETA as 2020, which I think is a little bit generous considering that he hasn't played above single A. Uh, we may see him start in Needham, or he may even make the jump to New Hampshire in Double A this year. I like this guy a lot. You love to see a young player with a great eye at the plate. A guy who's 22 and in his second pro season walking 20% of his plate appearances. He actually walked 21% in his first full season in 2017. So he's got, he has a history of having a great eye. Um, he's not going to hit 300. He's probably going to hit like 270. He's a power hitter. He's like a, he's like a, he's a Justin Smoke kind of guy. That would be my comparison to a big leaguer right now. Uh, obviously, Smokey also walks a ton. He's got that home run power. Noda's a guy that I can see really pushing uh, guys like Spanberger and Telez in the first baseman internal internal prospect rankings, uh, and Noda might be the best of them. Patrick? I mean, I, I love my first baseman nice and juicy, and this guy's <laughs> definitely a juicy boy. You can see it in his stats. You can see it. I mean, he's 6'3", 217. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I mean, I would just wish he was taller and weighed more. I mean, I just—I want to—I want a big boy out there. I want to—I want a rowdy Tellez. I want a Ryan Noda. Uh, out of the two of those guys, though, who are actually 30 and 29, mm-hmm. I'm actually more excited for Ryan Noda because, um, you know, fanfare for rowdy aside, uh, Noda seems to have the fielding part down and. He does seem to have a bit more power than Tellez. I mean, it's kind of hard to say because, like you said, he's only played in in A. Yeah. I, I think we'll see him in Dunedin or uh, possibly New Hampshire. Certainly, I think he'll finish the year in New Hampshire. Um, but I love his vision. I, I think this guy has all the tools to be, you know, like an elite for like power hitting first baseman. It just we'll see how he does in Double A. I'm more of a Rowdy Telez guy, personally, and that's who's number 29 on the list here. Um, Again, he's a year older. He's 23. He's bigger, 6'4", 220. He's a beefy boy. (laughs) It's like ham from the sandlot. He's a big guy. (laughs) And, again, he's got a lot of fanfare behind him, too, because of his uh, call-up last season. Jays fans already love this guy. So, Patrick, I'll ask you here, would you rather have Telez or Noda? I know you kind of answered that question already, but touch a little bit more on Telez here. Well, Telez is, is ready now arguably he's certainly a better first baseman than Kendris Morales uh I don't know the jury's out on whether or not he's a better hitter certainly at certain times uh Morales looked like he was lost out there last year we still have him for another year sun's out guns out yeah it's gonna be sun's out guns out for one more year unless he gets dealt or who knows maybe he gets DFA'd (laughs) kind of like what happened to uh Hanley Ramirez last year get buried in the minors but uh Telez 
Telez was a beast in those 23 games. Every time he came up to the plate, I was, I was excited. The thing that concerns me greatly <laughs> is that he has a very, very high strikeout rate, and he does not take walks. Ryan Noda already has a better eye than him, and, he, and Noda hasn't even made it to double A yet. Yeah. It's really concerning that uh, Telez only drew like one walk out of his 73 plate appearances. It's ridiculous. And um, I, I'd say what's probably going to happen to Telez is he, he's going to have a, a, a full year in AAA with call-ups regularly. I think he'll be the first the first guy to get the call-up uh, when, you know, Smoke or Morales gets injured or they need someone to like pop into the DH position. I'd like to see him be a regular DH rather than a first baseman. That way we can have both our juicy boys, Noda and Telez. <laughs> but um, I think what we saw last year proves that Telez does have uh, some upside, some ability. Yeah, I, I, I like Rowdy. I don't think Rowdy is the first baseman of the future. I think he's the first baseman of the fill-in tenure. Uh, once Smokey's done after this season, whether or not the Jays resign him or not, it's I'm I'm leaning towards the side that they probably won't resign him. Unfortunately, I love Justin Smoke, but his time is coming to move on. Uh, Telez could be a guy who could fill in for a season. I mean, we'll see what guys like Noda and Spanberger do in the minors this year. They might push for a spring training gig in uh, 2020. Here, it, it it seems weird that we're talking about. Uh, ETAs of 2020 being just around the corner, but 2020 is a year away. Uh, it's it's coming. Telez for me, Patrick alluded to it. He has a very high strikeout rate in in relation to his walk rate. Ryan noticed strikes out a ton too, but he also walks way closer to his strikeout weight than Rowdy Telez does. Telez is going to have to be a guy who's going to have to hit a ton of home runs to make it worth keeping him in the lineup. And his career high in the minor leagues is 23. That's great, but that was in 2016, so it's, he's a couple years removed from that. He only hit 17 home runs across AAA and the big leagues in 2018. So, I mean, if he can't hit for power and hit 30 home runs a season, you're probably not going to see him be in the big leagues for long. Not with the Jays, anyway. Next to up. his credit, though, uh, Justin, uh, he had a very rough oh, yeah. he had a, couple, a couple of years year. with yeah. with his mother. And mm -hmm. it seems like now that he's sort of uh, maybe not put it in the past, but sort of accepted everything that's happened and has gone through the whole process. He um, can move forward now. He, yeah. came out, he came out swinging, and he looked like himself when he was playing with Toronto, which I don't know if that really accounts for very much. Yeah, but he he also generated like 0.5 WAR in 23 games, which that's solid. Is more yeah, I mean that's more than we could have expected for a 23 year old who just lost his his mom. Mm, yeah, like I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with him being around. First pitcher on the list, um, guy we got in the Rule Five Draft, uh, Elvis Young. Luciano. Luci Luciano, Luciano Luciano I'm not 100 percent sure how the last name is pronounced but he's only 18. He's a youngster. He's 18 <laughs> and looking at his um pitching ratings here, fastball 60, curveball 55, changeup 50, command 50. Those aren't great. They don't jump off the page, They're but when you find numbers, out probably. he's 18 years old, not bad at all. Yeah. Um so again, a rule 5 guy. We took him ninth overall. Um, rule five guys again. We don't really have great experience with that. <laughs> Joe Biagini. Hey, he had he had a good year in his first year. The rule yeah. five. But um, this Luciano guy. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Real 5 draft is if, if we're going to keep Luciano, he's going to stay on our 25-man our twenty five roster for the entire season, which means he's going to pitch in the big leagues unless we decide to basically give him back to the Royals if they want him. Uh, the Jays believe that Luciano can be effective in the big leagues. I mean, the, the guy's going to be, he's going to turn 19 February 15th, so in 13 days. The day after he reports his brain training will be his birthday. But if if he does in fact make the opening day roster, he will be the first player born in the two thousands to pitch in the big leagues. Mm. He'll be the first, yeah, <laughs> first for the first new millennium birthday to uh, pitch in the big leagues, which is kind of exciting. He was signed in twenty sixteen by Arizona as a free agent from as an international free agent, and we took him ninth overall in this year's Rule Five draft, as Clayton said. The thing about this guy is that he's been a starting pitcher. But he's not going to start for us. We we know that. He's on the death threat right now in the bullpen. Uh, we don't know too much about him just because he's so young. But he's he's got a mid-90s fastball. It's a sinker, which which we do like. He gets the ground balls. Uh, and his uh, his curve has a plus potential, and, and his changeup is serviceable right now too. So they, they believe that he can be effective in probably middle relief, low leverage situations. He's not going to be thrust into a setup or closers role at any time. Don't get me wrong there. But his peripheral stats are encouraging and i mean we've seen young pitchers roberto osuna come into the the jays organization before and and pitch well in a closers role in their first season so i mean it's not unheard of for a young guy to come in and, and play well but he's going to be 19 in, in 13 days and it's going to be tough it's going to be a big learning experience it might be rough but i think this guy if we give him a shot could be something he could be something in the bullpen Patrick, do you agree? Does Luciano have a future with the team this year? I want to make a joke here. Uh, You know what? I'm just going to say it. There's no way that this kid is going to be any worse than Mark Leiter Jr., Danny Burns, (laughs) or Joe Biagini. So I kind of like the idea of experimenting. He clearly has a lot of upside. He clearly has a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to rub a lot of other pitchers in the system the wrong way. Uh, with him kind of getting boosted up uh, or, or like moved up in the pecking order so much faster than others. It'll be weird to see Luciano in the bullpen if that's what happens um, over, you know, other players in our system who have been here longer or already have a modicum of MLB success. But that being said, I mean, it would be really cool for us to have the first player born in the 2000s play for Toronto, it would kind of be indicative of what's going to come in the future for the team. So it's kind of cool. At the same time, I have no idea what to expect because this guy is kind of an unknown. He hasn't really pitched a hell of a lot, even in the minors. So I don't know. Could be great. Could be a disaster. Can't be any worse than Mark Leiter. I love this. Uh, Could be great. Could be bad. Guess yeah. we'll just find out in a couple of weeks. That's just baseball in a <laughs> nutshell. There, he could be really good. He, he also could, could be really, could really be bad. Just terrible. He could be dog shit. We don't know yet. Um, the next guy fits that perfectly. Uh, <laughs> Thomas Pannone. Yeah. Uh, again, he's only 24, and the Jays. Uh, they saw a little preview of him last year. Of course, his big PED thing to start the year off yeah. wasn't great, but uh, he pitched okay at times last year, and at least Jays fans got to see him. You know, because with a lot of these prospects, it's just kind of like. We have no idea what they can bring to the table. You know, we know Patrick's on guys. the train. Yeah, so, yeah, we know Patrick <laughs> loves Thomas Pannone, so go about your boy here, bud. Look, 
Thomas Pannone definitely should be on the MLB roster uh, in 2019, uh, but he probably won't start there because there is a bit of a logjam right now with them signing Shoemaker and uh, Richard mm-hmm. um, or Richard. Do we know? I think it's we Richard. find out. It's Richard. I think it's it's Clayton Richard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, the PD thing was not a good look, but <laughs> he looked in his 43 innings. Um, of play, there were only two games where he looked really lost, like really bad. Um, I thought he could have competed for a starting pitcher role until we signed those two guys, but now it looks like we'll probably see him in AAA, get a full season in, uh, definitely get some call-ups, definitely get a September call-up. Um, the suspension kind of seems to be in the rearview mirror. Uh, management seems to be high enough on him to give him the ball, uh, every fifth day uh, for the last two months of the year, or whatever it was, or month of the year, last six starts I, I, in a month and a half. Yeah, like, yeah, like I, I like this guy. I would have preferred to see him be the number five starter over signing uh, somebody else, but that's not what happened. I still think Panone has a future on the team. I know Clayton doesn't believe that. Um, you, you said so many moons ago, but. Uh, I think if Panone gets the chance, he will see more of the good stuff from him rather than the, the awful start he had in Baltimore and the awful start he had against the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, if you like strikeouts, you're not going to see them from Thomas Panone. But if you like guys who can strand base runners, you'll see that from Thomas Panone. I think he's left-handed, which we do like here. We always say we talk we like left-handed pitchers. Um, they're just weird. They're, they're quirky, and we like that. Uh, but, I mean... I do. I agree with Patrick. I think that Thomas Pannone can be a big league pitcher. I, I just. I do believe he's a like a fifth starter. I think he tops out there. He's never going to be a top of the rotation guy, but he's going to give you innings. I, I. I think he's he's the younger version of 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 Clayton Richard. Thomas Pannone is going to be what Clayton Richard is right now, where he's going to be the a kind of guy who who may bounce around between a bunch of teams. But he'll stick around in the big leagues as like a fifth starter, a depth starter for his entire career. He's not going to get into the Hall of Fame. Let's let's not even uh, kid ourselves there. But mm-hmm. I, I think he's I think he's serviceable and he will be for a, for a long time uh, to come. And I I think the guy will stick around with us for a year or two, and then he might be included in one of those uh, trades as a secondary piece to maybe get uh, a younger, better pitcher. Who knows? Who knows? But I I think he's going to compete for the sixth rotation spot and he'll be the first guy up from triple a should something happen next up on the list here um ronnie brito yeah. second base and a shortstop another one of our shortstops the martin guy in the log jam here <laughs> yeah we got him from uh the russell martin trade um he is currently the eighth shortstop in toronto's top 30 prospects so Huge long, huge logjam in our uh, shortstop situation right now. But this guy, again, he passes the eye test. Six feet tall, 165 pounds, a little skinny, but whatever. Uh, he's only 19. We got so many young shortstops mm-hmm. that seem to be the same age. Like Groshans is 18 or 19, 19 right now. He just turned 19. Yeah, he yeah. just turned 19. So these guys are the same age. But this guy defensively is really, really good. Hey. Yeah, I mean the the Dodgers liked this guy, um, but they didn't like him enough to keep him. Uh, we were able to prime away as part of the compensation for eating a shit ton of Russell Martin's salary. He plays second base as well and shortstop. So he's another one of those, yeah, another middle infield guy that we have in our in our prospect system. Uh, he's our eighth shortstop. He's our lowest ranked shortstop in the top three. We have eight shortstops in the top 30, guys. 
that's crazy. Like that's over a quarter of our top 30 prospects are at one position. He's got gold glove potential, but his bat still needs some work. He strikes out a lot, like Mm -hmm. 25 to 30% of the time. And that's a little bit concerning, but I do like his potential. He's got a ton of raw potential at the plate with some hit power, hitting power. And yeah, he's going to, he's going to be in low A probably all season to develop, but he's got potential to move up. He's, he's going to be, I think he's Ryan Goins with a better bat. If I had to describe him as a big leaguer, he's Ryan Goins with a better bat. We've, we we have a few of those guys in our system. I think we, we talked about that with like guys like Richard Urania who are kind of like that in that, in that same category. Uh, Probably a future major leaguer. He'll never be a world beater, but he'll be serviceable. Patrick, do you agree? What do you see, Burrito, with our team? Um, I want to see more of this guy pitch in something other than rookie. Like, I just want to see more of him. I'm not really sure how I feel about about him. Like, it seems like he's got a decent eye. Um, but he does strike out an awful lot for someone who I'm not even <laughs> sure if he's a power hitter or not. He might, I don't know. I don't think like, I, it's it's also weird to me. Like, he, uh, Fangraphs had him at a, a hit and game power grade of 40, but that's like that's higher than some of the other shortstop prospects we have on our on our list. So it's like it sometimes it doesn't make sense to me how these guys are graded. And I wish the whole thing was, like, a little bit more transparent. I know it's, like, it's fan graphs and you can't really... I don't know who is responsible for it. Like, it's obviously not a professional scout, so it's hard to say. But at least we got something for Russell Martin. And I can I can live with this guy being in the system. We'll see. He's only 19 as well, which is, you know, good. I like it when we get our players... Excuse me. We get our players young and we get them... You know, they get an, an opportunity to kind of play three, four, five years in the minors before they come up. I do like the sexy stories, though, mm-hmm. of of a player who's like, you know, 18 or 19 getting into MLB right away. It's kind of a cool story. But anyway, whatever. He's just one of a million shortstops. He's got to figure out the strikeout part of it after that. We'll see. Next up on the list, number 25th um, on the Blue Jays prospect list, uh, a guy named Forrest Wall, John Wall's brother, as a matter of fact. No, I'm just kidding. Um, He's 23. He's um, 6 feet, 176 pounds. He was drafted by uh, Colorado back in 2014. Um, He was part of the Sangwon O deal, and he played with the uh, Fisher Cats last year, the team that won it all, you know. And uh, he didn't play horrible with the Fisher Cats, but it wasn't like he was standing out either. But he is still one of our top prospects, and when it comes to outfielders, we need outfielder prospects right now. We don't need shortstop prospects. (laughs) So, uh, Patrick, Forrest Wall, your thoughts? This guy doesn't really excite me very much. Uh, I kind of wish we still had Sengwon O, but uh, he seems to he he had an okay OBP in uh, in Double A. Uh, he has an alarming K rate uh, when he was with the Blue Jays affiliate in Double A New Hampshire. His K rate was thirty one point three percent, which is way too high. That's the I mean, take that been. with a grain of salt because it was in 35 yeah. games. And, he, yeah, he might have struck out like four times in his first game, which happens to players <laughs> when they move to a new system. But, 
you know, he's only 23 years old. He's got a lot of work to do before, you know, he'll rise up. I think we'll see him in double A next year and I don't think he'll get promoted. Um, I'd like to see him work on his, uh, plate vision point blank. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Wallace, he's got 60 grade speed, which is really good for an outfielder. He's going to have an easier time getting to baseballs. His fielding and throwing value are middle of the pack. But with that speed, he's similar to a guy we'll talk about much later, Anthony Alford, who they have high speed grades but lower throwing, like kind of worse arms. But that'll still make them decent outfielders because they can get to everything. Uh, I do think he's going to hit for average. I believe that he'll be one of those guys that hit for like 285 to 295, somewhere in that range as he continues to move up the ranks. Will he ever be more than a major league outfield? He won't be an all-star. I think he'll just be just normal. He'll just be one of those regular run-of-the-mill guys who who makes lineups wherever he goes, but won't be the top of the the top of the team kind of thing. Just another guy. Just another guy. Yeah. Just another average major league baseball player. Yeah. Kevin Pillar is a good. Yeah, Kevin Pillar, like a guy who will make some great plays in the outfield, but will never be uh, a thirty-five home run hitter kind of thing. He'll be he'll be serviceable. Yeah, I use that word a lot. Next guy up on the list, number 24, uh, Leonardo Jimenez. This guy's yeah. 17. Yeah. So we can't really judge him too much because he's 17. He's got a lot of growing left to do. Mm. Uh, another shortstop. So another this is shortstop. the second shortstop of eight. Uh, yeah. 5'11", 160 pounds. Um, it doesn't look like he has crazy power, but it looks like he could be a pretty good fielder. But again, he's 17 years old, so... It's tough to say what he'll do. The power could go up, the fielding yeah. could go down. You don't really know. So this Justin, is a guy that we don't really know too much about. It's kind of the same as with Elvis Luciano. We just don't know much about him because he's 18. Uh, yeah, he's 18. <laughs> he's, oh, sorry, he's only 17. Sorry, yeah, yeah he's 17. He's going to be 18 in May. So we signed him in the, the 2017 free agent signing window. So we've, we've, we've had him in our organization for about a year and a half now. And yeah, he, he he had a decent year. He had 250 in in uh, in rookie ball, in 150 plate appearances. He didn't strike out. Uh, he he walked about as much as he struck out, right? So I mean, we like to see that, but we we can't really. I can't I can't give this guy an evaluation because we just don't have any info on him. We don't know enough. We haven't seen enough out of him yet to even predict where he'll go in the future. Yeah. yeah. Think about this though. The guy was 16. Mm-hmm going on 17 and then 17 and he was playing rookie ball last year yeah there obviously there is something about this guy that has him ranked so high oh, for sure and there's there's a reason why all of his uh his tool grades uh as, at least potential wise are are all very close Above to average. 50 yeah it's yeah it's just like i i have a feeling about this guy and i'm not sure I'm not sure what it is, but the fact that we got him so young and the fact that he's already in the system, in seven years' time, he'll still only be 24 years old. Yeah. Can you guys imagine how fine-tuned his game should be if he were to play in the minors for you know, two thirds of that, at least mm-hmm. he yeah. could be MLB ready by the time he's 21 with the proper coaching it's possible. and proper dedication. The there only... is a lot of potential upside to him because we're getting him so young. And the fact that he's in a very progressive firm system. 
mm-hmm. think the only problem with him is there's a guy who is almost his exact age who has a little bit better of an upside and where we know more about him in our system already with Groshans. Yeah. So I think that's the only thing that's going to cause this guy to to maybe not make the leap as fast as Groshans. I think we have a lot more invested in Groshans than we do Jimenez. Yes. But oh, yeah. at the same time, I mean, Jimenez could end up being way better. Because, again, why is this guy number 24 on our list when we know nothing about him? Yeah. There's obviously got to be something, something about there. him. But, I mean... A huge problem with this guy is he's playing the wrong position. Yeah. It's a shortstop. In our minor league system right now, you don't want to be a shortstop unless you're Groshans or whoever, you know. Bobochette. Bobochette. I mean, those are the two guys right <laughs> well, now that we have. But so it's That's kinda, another it's, thing, though, Clayton, is that he's 17 and he's playing shortstop now. But five years from now, five years, he could still be 22 and have accumulated three or four years of experience at second base. They could shift him over very easily. He's too young for us to sort of think that he's committed to playing at shortstop. You can put a shortstop that's on what, the outfield, that's, too. That's why I think he's so highly touted is because he's such a raw talent. Like, he's a young, a very young, very capable athlete. And right now he's listed as shortstop. I would not be surprised. And we can kind of look back at this a year from now. If he doesn't change positions within the next year or possibly two years where he'll still be 19 years old, again, 19, (laughs) and have three years of experience in the minor leagues. I really think that's the thing we have to be thinking about. I think any of these shortstops, we can just switch positions. Shortstops in general, the super best, durable. The best athletes on the field. Super durable. You can move them anywhere. So I think it's a good problem to have for the Jays having this many shortstops. Mm. Speaking of shortstops. Speaking of, speaking of guys who are seven years older. <laughs> yeah, another shortstop on the list. Number 23, uh, Santiago Espinal. Uh, he's 24, so he's already a little on the older side when it comes to prospects anyway. Yeah. Um, but he's still not that bad of a player. Played no. with uh, New Hampshire last year, so... Do we know more about this guy or less about this guy? Well, he's he's a guy that the Red Sox drafted. Um and then basically we we traded we got him in the Steve Pierce trade mm-hmm. uh from Boston. So the he has a really good fielding potential. Again, another great fielder. He's a shortstop, go figure. But this is another guy who also has potential to hit for average. With the Red Sox in high A this season. He did bat 313, and he hit 286 with us in double-A in, in 42 games as well. So he's got potential to bat for average, which we like in a middle infielder role. He's not a power hitter, though. Um, he'll never hit. He might hit 10 home runs in the big league season around there. He'll never be a guy like, who will hit 25 home runs. He won't be like an Aaron Hill middle infielder who can hit 25 home runs, that kind of guy. He might hit 10. Uh, the strikeout and walks, decent, respectable numbers. I do think that he'll be kind of the backup middle infielder when he does develop a bit more. He's probably a year away. MLB Pipeline has his ETAs this season, so we might even see him in September. That could be a timeline for him. He's definitely ahead of the the call-up schedules for Jordan Groshans and Kevin Smith, who are below him in the, in the uh, minor league system. So I like this guy. I think he's got potential to do something, um, but he'll be he'll be a middle infield backup. He'll probably be like a Brandon Drury sort of guy who's who's good enough to play but not good enough to start. Patrick Santiago Espinal, you see a future for him? 
No, I think he's absolutely <laughs> screwed in our system. If you look at if you look at the raw talent of Jimenez, like we just talked about, yeah. and then Jordan Groshans, who's already younger and better, and then Bo Bichette, it just unless he changes positions, which he's not going to at age twenty four, he there's no space. He's yeah. he's going to be a player that we can use. Uh, to bolster the value of another player in a trade deal. And that's what he was basically used for by Boston. So I think that's what he's sort of destined to be for us as well, just because there's so many other players who are better than him and younger players like Jimenez, like we just discussed, who has so much more raw talent that we're better off investing time into developing you know, the 17-year-old than we are the 24-year-old. I, I agree with what Justin said about his abilities. Yeah. It's not that. It's just a matter of him being in the wrong position at the wrong time within the organization. He's just not going to find a spot for us. I, he's better off getting dealt to an organization that's very shallow uh, in the depth uh, at shortstop so he can actually get a chance to play at higher levels. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be double A this year because obviously Bo Bichette will be triple A. Yep. And he absolutely will not see any MLB time this year, and I don't think he'll see any next year either. So I think he's in a, a too tough a spot. I, he's better off getting dealt. Moving on then, <laughs> uh, 22 on the list, uh, a right-handed pitcher, Trent Thornton, double T's. Um, six feet tall, 175 pounds. Uh, there's no tool analysis for this guy. So again, one of yeah. those guys who's a little bit of a mystery, but usually when you talk about those guys, they're like 18, 19 years old. This yeah. guy's 25. Yeah. Uh, f- uh, MLB pipeline has tool analysis for him. I like using fan better because they show where he's at for his grades. His scouting grades, his potential on his fastball is 60 to 80. So he's got a good fastball. They say he averages around 95, 93, 95, but tops out 97. It's got riding action, so it's a two-seam fastball. Uh, he's nice. got a power curve with some good depth um, and an improving slider that he could turn into a true cutter, they say. So he could have that, a nice cutter to go along with the, with his two-seamer, which would be a good compliment. Um, he does need to learn how to trust his changeup a bit more. Uh, to find success against lefties, he struggles against left-handed left-handed batters, which is a bit concerning, um, but not unheard of. He did have a decent year in AAA in terms of FIP. He's never had a great ERA um, in terms of his xFIP. I mean, in 2017, uh, he didn't pitch much. Oh, sorry, yeah, in 2017 he had a good a good FIP. He had a 2.37 FIP in a couple starts in AA, but then a but a 509 ERA and a 424 FIP in AAA. So his his ex-FIP has always been below his ERA, which just shows that he's kind of, kind of gotten screwed by some luck a little bit. Uh, again, not a huge strikeout pitcher. Averages about seven strikeouts per nine, which isn't terrible, but he doesn't walk a ton of people. His career walks are somewhere in the 1.5 range per nine innings, which is solid. We like that. And he doesn't give up home runs uh, more than league average. So, I mean... He's ranked, I believe, uh, seventh on our starting pitching rotation depth right now. So he's going to push for a rotation spot potentially. I, th- I still think that Clayton Richards spot at number five is up for grabs. And it's going to be guys like Thornton, yeah. Gaviglio, Pannone, and even Sean Reed Foley. Like, there's probably four or five guys who are going to be competing for that last rotation spot. Nothing's guaranteed for Clayton Richard yet. I think Matt Shoemaker's a bit more guaranteed. But that fifth spot, I think, is still up for grabs, and there are about five guys, including Trent Thornton, who could push for it. Patrick, do you see this guy playing for us this season? Uh, not 
uh, for the first six months. Uh, yeah. I don't. Fair. I do think he'll eventually get some looks. Uh, he'll be like a September call-up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it would be a really good problem for the Jays to have a AAA rotation that has Thomas Pannone, Trent Thornton, Sean Reed Foley, uh, and then who else are we looking at on the fringes there? And Nate Pearson's Leo. a reliever, isn't he? Or is no, he a starter? Nate Pearson's a starting pitcher, but he pitched like five innings last year, so. Yeah, so I think I think Pearson will push for Triple A this year. So that's yeah. four guys who are all uh, solid pitching prospects in our Triple A rotation. Pannone already has MLB experience and proved that he's serviceable. Sean Reed Foley uh, proved that he is not completely out of his element, but uh, could still use a little bit more seasoning, maybe mm-hmm. some coaching. Uh, and then Trent Thornton kind of impresses me more than Sean Reed Foley because he has such a good K rate. I think and he's more, imp- he, more ready at this point. Yeah, and I it sucks to say because we were so high on Sean oh, Reed love, Foley I last year. Like <laughs> he, he, had, he had flashes of brilliance. Yeah. Like, I do think Sean Reed Foley eventually will be a regular in the rotation as long as we don't deal him. But it would be really interesting to see what happens with Thornton? What's weird is we got him for dealing away Diaz, who we were just complaining about not having anymore. And the more that you kind of look at this guy, the more you think like, wow, we got him for Diaz. Like, pretty good deal for us. Yep, I agree. We, we, have, we have a good problem in our system right now as far as pitching goes in that, you know, if we were to assume that Clayton Richard does get that fifth spot and then you've got like Pannon, Thornton, Pearson and Sean Reed Foley in AAA, that AAA team is is going to be good. They're going to be very watchable. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, they're going to they're going to compete uh, for a playoff spot, at least in AAA. And then we'll see what happens in September. I think we're likely to see Shoemaker and Richard get dealt if they're having good seasons. Uh, which means that uh, after Barucki, it's kind of like four and five are kind of wide open for August and September. So yeah, fair. It could be inter- it could be a very interesting season for Thornton. Before we get to uh, the last guy on our list, the one thing that worries me about our pitching in the minors is we don't have that one guy to get too excited about. Not in AAA. It seems like yeah, yeah we got some young guys who are excited about, but it always seems like the Jays always have like that one guy who it's like, oh man, hear about this Ricky Romero kid and his changeup. <laughs> Here we go. Oh man, Stroman and Sanchez coming up. Even yeah. with like Kyle Drabeck and yeah. Dustin McGowan back in the day, the Jays farm system always had that one pitcher who was like, this is After, the future of our pitching rotation. I think about halfway through this year, you're going to see Nate Pierce making headlines and as well as Patrick Murphy those guys are both really good I hope so because right now I was just going to say the exact same thing they're they're not at the top of mindset yet because we have super prospects like Guerrero and Bichette at the very top Mm -hmm. Um, and those are obviously the upper echelon of Blue Jays prospects then you have a great second tier of guys who are actually top tier prospects who just haven't gotten the attention yet because of, of Vladdy. Mm-hmm. It's the Vladimir effect. Once Vladdy goes off the prospect rank and we have a new number one, which will probably be Bichette, we'll see some guys that the media starts to be like, hey, this guy's actually pretty good. We should talk about him for a bit. I hope so because I'm a little worried about <laughs> our pitching right now. Like, not in AAA. Again, our AAA team's going to be fine for pitching, but it's just we don't have that guy. We don't know? have We don't have that surefire. If somebody goes down, this guy's going to come up and be good. Yeah. We don't really have that we don't right have now. That guy. No, but we will. Yeah, very soon. Uh, last guy we're going to be talking about today, uh, number twenty-one on our prospect list, Jonathan Davis. 
did not know this guy was a prospect because um, he's 26. <laughs> yeah. um, again, Jays fans saw him a little bit last year at the end of the season. Um, he's got a lot of potential. I like this guy still. Do you still believe do. in him? I, I, don't, I don't believe that he's ever going to be Randall Grichuk, but I think he's a fourth outfielder who can play in like 80 games. Uh, he's, got, he's fast. Again, he's really fast. He's a bit of a late bloomer. I mean, yeah, we, we, we know he's 26 already. Uh, he's, he's a draft pick of us, though. So he's a 15th round pick from back in 2013. He spent his entire minor league career with us. Uh, he stole in 30 bases in 2016, 20 in 2017, and he stole 29 overall three levels he played in in 2018. He got his first shot AAA and his first shot the bigs in 2018, so we took a bit of a step forward, which we do, which it does say something about him. Uh, I still believe that Jonathan Davis has potential to hit about like 260. He's never going to be a 300 average player either, but he's a serviceable fourth outfielder who can start if injuries happen. The thing about, we, we talked about, we alluded to this earlier with Dalton Pompey being out of options and Anthony Alford really needing to prove something. Jonathan Davis is in that same boat. A 26-year-old prospect isn't much of a prospect anymore. Uh, we have in our notes here that this is probably a do-or-die year for him. If he doesn't want to be, I guess, DFA'd or included in a trade, it's he's got to, he's got to show something in the spring training. And if he's not in Toronto come the end of March, he'll have to show something in Buffalo pretty damn quick, or he could be on his way out of town pretty soon. I mean, I I like him. I hope he succeeds. He's he seems to love playing baseball. I've seen some some interviews with him. He's very passionate. The, the guys that his teammates like him too, which is always great. And he's and he's probably been. A big help to some of our younger, our younger guys in the minors, being 26, having seen some stuff over the years. He's probably been a big help, and I appreciate guys like that who are still kicking around at 26, waiting for their chance. Patrick, do you think Jonathan Davis has a future with us? No, none at all. And it, it's not to say all the the nice things that you said about Jonathan Davis aren't true. They absolutely are. He is a well-liked teammate, a good guy to have in the clubhouse. Uh, he's gone through our system but. <laughs> uh, ever since 2013, he's a double A pick, isn't he? 2013. Yeah, that would be Alex Anthopoulos. Yeah. Um, I just think that Dwight Smith Jr. and Anthony Alford, and I'm sure I'm missing a couple others, are already better than him, and those guys probably won't crack the lineup. So I I, I don't see where Davis can possibly fit in. I don't. I think Alford is faster and is a better fielder. Um, I am not quite sure about comparing him and Dwight Smith Jr., but I just have a lot of uh, a lot more faith in Jr. than than I do Jonathan Davis. I I think it's his age. Honestly, I look at that and I think that's fair. He has he hasn't figured it out yet enough to crack the lineup, and he did not look particularly good with the Jays last year for twenty games. Um, I, I think it's unfair of me, though, to criticize uh, him for that when I'm praising Roddy Tellez for batting 300 <laughs> in 23 games and, and praising Richard Urania for batting 293 in 36 games. So if I'm going to be nice to them um, about their time or if I'm going to dismiss those stats, I, I, I shouldn't pay too much attention to the limited time that Davis has played with the Jays. Yeah. I, don't, I don't see him having a future... Uh, with the Jays, but it, I do think that he has the speed around the base paths to be 
useful for some other team. So he won't crack the lineup by March. He'll get sent down to Buffalo. And then if there is a need that the, the Jays need, like, very quickly early in the season, Davis will probably be the first piece to get moved, if not Dalton Pompey. Fair enough. With that, that's uh, it for part one of three of the uh, Prospect Watch 2019. Um, next episode, we're going to battle uh, 20 to 11, and then after that, we'll go from our top 10 prospects. It's been fun. Um, don't forget, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, follow us on all those things. Ask us some questions on there, too. We answered some fan questions today. It's always a fun time hearing from you guys. Uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're all over all of them. Thanks for listening on one of those things or wherever you listened, especially if you listen in Wyoming. I'm pretty sure no one in Wyoming listens to us, so <laughs> we're going to still keep shouting them out, though. Yeah, and make it happen. if you are listening from Wyoming, tell us. We'll give you a special shout-out. Maybe you'll even be a guest on the show. We'll give you a call and see what's going on in Wyoming. The annual Wyoming Report. Um, for Patrick and Justin, my name's Clayton. Another episode of Bat Flips and Maple Dips in the books. We'll uh, see you next week.